VGRT Gaming Podcast, episode 645, recorded on March 30th, 645th edition of the TD Gaming Podcast and 478th episode of Video Game Roundtable. I am TJ Dinser. I am Scott Dirk. And I am Jonah Falcon. The VGRT Gaming Podcast focuses on game news from around the industry with a gaming flashback and gaming history. Right. So before we move on, what have you been playing, TJ? Um, I can talk about it because it won't air by the, this won't air by the time embargoes up. I've been playing Weird West. Oh, okay. So uh, that's a game that's actually going to Game Pass. So I'm going to be looking forward to that. It's uh from the it's from the creative director and co-founder of Arcane Studios. They uh they moved on from Arcane to found Wolfeye Studios. Uh and this is their first game uh being published by Devolver Div- Digital no less. Of course it's Devolver Digital. It's a action RPG uh shooter in the Wild West with uh zombies, werewolves, witches and and dark magic. Um I I like I I love the premise of this game. I love the and I generally like the the gameplay of it. Like you have you have this story told across five different characters and you have choices to make between those characters and the choices that you make in like an earlier character's chapter can have like drastic consequences where like I mean there's this one businessman that you deal with and depending on the way that you deal with him whether it's uh you help him out or do other more terrible things um there's a lot of things that can change when you run into that same uh property later um but yeah, like it's it's also a little. I will say it's also kind of a little bit janky, and like janky in the way that like it kind of reminds me of playing uh, the first Fallout game. Um, there were just like it's an isom it's an isometric viewed game, and uh, the combat, the gunplay, uh, it sometimes gets a little confused about like characters that are on certain characters or objects that you're shooting at that are at certain elevations. Like I, I was pointing, I was pointing my rifle to try to kill a guy that was way down in a mine shaft. But like there was a land, there was an oil lantern at the top of the shaft in the same direction that that guy was. And I ended up hitting the oil lantern instead of him. And it ended up falling, catching fire and lighting me and my crew on fire so there's a little bit of jank in it but i think the premise and the adventure that's in it and the choices that you make are strong enough to kind of outdo the jank so we should talk about the look of the game it's something you don't see much anymore and that's cel-shaded graphics i mean it's actually it looks like hades as a western with cel-shaded graphics basically mm-hmm but yeah, this game's coming out. Uh, it'll be on Game Pass, so um, I'm planning on trying it out. There's nothing, you know. I there's always something to be said for a good action RPG. 
I haven't been playing Diablo 2 as much as I thought I would. I've been distracted by so many other things. Um, but this is a new IP, and it'll be interesting to see how well it does. Yeah, for sure. Like, I would like to see more in this universe from Wolfi if it does well. Like, I, I enjoyed my trip through it, and uh, the premise on its own seems like it has the kind of legs where you could uh, continue to do adventures in this sort of occult occult Wild West. Yeah, I think I remember. Didn't they have a trailer for this at one of the uh, one of the events? Because I think I, I've seen this before. It does look familiar. So it's a nice isometric, and it's a uh, has horror. Not to be uh, confused with Hard West, just so you know. <laughs> Hard West was Hard West was XCOM as a western. No, it just uh, I mean this is isometric and looks. Oh, maybe I'm confusing it. Because uh, Hard West is isometric, and it uses a card uh, a poker hand mechanic uh, for its uh, as its main thing. Weird West is more of an action RPG. Okay, now I don't know which one I saw before because Hard West <laughs> looks like it too. Damn, you're right. Don't get confused. <laughs> Hard West came out a few years ago. Um, shoot, I don't know which one it was I saw then. <laughs> this one has Werewolf Cowboys, and that alone is enough to make me want to play it. That does more. sound awesome. <laughs> yeah, is there are there uh, are there werewolves in where you are right now, TJ? Because I keep on hearing barking. Oh, I don't know. I don't hear. Uh... I heard barking. Huh. He has a dog, remember? Now she's asleep in the... In, uh... Okay, good. Someone else barking. <laughs> and it's not me. Not me. Anyways, what have you been playing, uh, Scott? I've been playing more triangle strategy. Okay. I'm getting, I think, uh, toward, towards the end of it. Uh, it definitely feels like it's getting towards the end of it at, at any rate. Uh, and I've been enjoying that. Um I've been enjoying the choosing your own path kind of mechanic where you have these convictions and you have to try to convince your party which way you want to go. And if you don't manage to get enough uh, conviction and, and the information uh, for arguments, you'll end up just going where they want to go, um, which is kind of interesting mechanic. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, I've been enjoying that game that has good music and I'm, I really like the story, so I want to see how it ends. And I and I hear there's like four different endings, and you get a new game plus once you've completed it, so that way you can see where the uh, conviction points go when you're making your decision. So that way you can help gear the ending that you want uh, when you play the next time around. Yeah, I've given up on Elden Ring. I'm setting it back, and I'll see what I'm going to get next. I, I'm uh, just I'm just not up for a grind. You know, the game is way too grindy for me. It's not hard, it's grindy. I, I found it to be very punishing, and running away from everything is just boring after a while. But uh, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I'm, I just feel like I'm not engaging with the game if I'm running away from everything. I'm not running away from everything. I'm just, uh, uh, what's it called, grinding, you know, on the uh, lower level creatures, which, you know, because I, I just need a lot more powerful, I need a more powerful attack, I need a better... Uh, I need more hit points, and, you know, and so long as you don't have three of them attacking you at once, it's not that it's not that difficult. Um, and I think, you know, um, if I was to play it again sometime, I would play with a different build than um, – see, here's the thing. When I, I, I think it's called Soldier, they have two weapons. Um, that's, you know, I, I next time I'll just go with one with a better shield because I – 
picked up the sh- uh, the rinky-dink little shield that they they won from somebody, and it's like, eh, no. So, or I might just go magic and break the game like other people have. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just too much grind, and I'm not I'm not up for a grind, you know. There are other games that that are commanding my attention. Um, there's some games coming out. So, oh yeah, I've been playing a lot more Tunic, and I've been making a lot more discoveries. And it's nice, you know, because that game requires you to be smart uh, because it it's really a does. it's a puzzle game, but not in the sense of puzzles. It's more like how do you get to A to B? You see that you see that thing over there? See if you can get to it. You know, and it sort of forces you to, you know, explore because there are certain things you just cannot get past. Like if there's a the machine gun, you know, you can maybe dodge it, but there are places where it's impossible to dodge. And it's basically, yeah, go get yourself a, a shield so that you can bounce off it. And then that that stupid guy with the lance, you know, that one that one enemy on a lance, he's on this ridge thing, which you cannot yeah. bomb him. And you really need this shield. So found, you can counter him. The way to get past the lance guy, you have to throw the bomb behind him. No, but you can't do it on. You can't do it on this one part where it's a where there, he's on this little thin, uh, this little thin uh, thing in which if you try and throw a bomb, it'll just bounce off and fall into the abyss. You have to. Yeah, uh, I couldn't just bomb him. I needed to get a shield so that I can, um, you know, counter him. But okay. like I said, this is a game in which. The difficulty isn't from, you know, like Elden Ring. It's more like, well, if you want to defeat this guy, you better have this with you, you know? Like, those guys with the swords, you know, they're tough when you only have a stick to whack at them, but when you have a sword, they're a lot easier. Right. And you can't get the guard captain without a sword. Best you can do is dodge him and run into the thing and pick up the health potion. Yeah, the, the shield is very helpful. Uh, it, it, it allows you to get past a lot more stuff. But like I said, you have to find it first. Yeah, and the magic wand is pretty good too. I haven't found the magic wand yet, so that's that's next on my list. Anyways, um, we're going to move on to gaming history, and uh, this week's gaming history is Mass Effect 3. Mass Effect 3 is a role-playing action video game developed by Bioware and published by Electronic Arts. The third major entry into the Mass Effect series and the final installment of the original trilogy, it was released in March 2012 for the Microsoft Windows, Xbox 360, and PlayStation 3. Let's put a tag on March 2012. A Wii U version of the game entitled Mass Effect 3 Special Edition was later released in November 2012. Oh, God, what a mess that was. No one bought that. Absolutely no one bought Mass Effect 3 for the Wii U. For several reasons. One, people who bought a Wii U weren't going to play Mass Effect 3. Two... There was no Mass Effect 1 or 2 on the Wii U. So you had that stupid Star uh, Mass Effect Galaxy thing in which you couldn't have the, you know, the save file that you wanted. Anyways, uh, the game is set within the Milky Way Galaxy in 2018, where the galactic civilization is invaded by a highly advanced machine race of synthetic organic starships known as the Reapers. It concludes uh, the story of Commander Shepard, an elite human soldier who is tasked with forging alliances between species for the war. Similar to Mass Effect 2, the player can import a complete save game onto Mass Effect 3 that involve, influences the plot by taking different uh, previous decisions into account. And we'll get put a pin on that one, too. In general, Mass Effect 3 revolves around increasingly your military strength by completing missions and gathering resources, called your EMS. Um, 
As Bioware designed the game to be accessible to both old and new players, many of the series' traditional gameplay elements remain, such as cover-based uh, third-person shooting, but new aspects are introduced as well, such as a multiplayer component. And boy, was that a shock to how successful that was. Uh, Mass Effect 3 received critical acclaim for its art direction, characters, emotional depth, improved combat, soundtrack, and voice acting. However, its ending was poorly received by fans who felt that it did not meet expectations. In response to the controversy, Bioware released the extended par- uh, cut pack, which expands upon the original ending. They also released the Omega, Leviathan, and Citadel expansions, as which also expanded the story. So, let's take this bit by bit by bit. It was released in March, when every single other Mass Effect game was released in November. And uh, that was Electronic Arts, because they wanted to, to make that quarter... You know, that quarterly thing. So Mass Effect 3 was released unfinished. And I think it's kind of obvious to everybody. Because here's the thing. The, the Omega DLC, if you play the game, um, you have Arya, and she's in purgatory. And you do some missions for her to get three of the uh, gangs under her control. And then when you ask her how she's going to take back Omega, she says, I think with violence. And then it just ends right there. I have a feeling that the Omega DLC was not supposed to be DLC. I think you're supposed to, from then on, take back Omega within the main game. It just feels like that. And that if had Mass Effect 3 been released in November, and I know it's supposed to be released in November because I know someone who, who was a manager at LucasArts, it, it would have been the ending would have not been, oh, pick one of three choices. Uh, so, t- TJ, tell me about your experience as a Mass Effect 3. I never completed Mass Effect 3, but I did... Uh, You're kidding me. Eh, no, I'm not. I mean, the first time around, anyways. I, I eventually completed it in the uh, Legendary Edition. Oh, okay. But, um, but like... I don't know. A lot of the controversy around the ending kind of spoiled some of that game for me because people were so mad and loud about it. Um, so for those who don't know, um, basically the way it originally ended was you picked a choice, cutscene, game over, that's it. And people say, what? <laughs> that's it? You had the, um, you had the, uh, uh, you had the Normandy landing on some unknown planet and then either the ship opened up and Joker came out or no one came out, depending on how high or low your EMS was, which is basically your galactic readiness. Um, there were both, there were two types of endings, a low EMS and high EMS. And if you did the low EMS destroy, um, it was really bad news. Everybody died and it was basically a Pyrrhic victory. And Oh, by the way, um, those save files were really important. Because a lot of times, if you fucked up in one or two, you are not going to get the best ending in three. If you did not save Rex, then you had Reeve, and he was not a good leader. If you did not recruit Legion, or something happened to Legion, or something happened to Tally, you were never going to get the uh, the Quarians and the uh, Geth to make peace, ever. All of your mistakes in the first two games came back to haunt you in three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like I played the hell out of I I played one to get a couple characters ready for two, and then uh and then I played the heck out of two, and I did 
like I I fell off with three, and then I eventually came back to it many many years later when the when there wasn't so much stank around it. Um, but that said, like I I still think that it, Mass Effect three. I don't think there will ever really be anything on the scope and scale of of yeah three games tied together the way that Mass Effect was again for a, for a long time or if it does happen I don't know if it'll even be able to do it that that uh on that level it was so unique the way that everything tied together in Mass Effect I'm going to tell you like, something yeah go ahead and like, just like th- everything from the smallest choices to the biggest choices, were like, yeah, like you said, if you if you blew it in the first and second game, then there could there would be really really interesting circumstances in the third game. Likewise, if you like, there's a lot of different things that like didn't pay off. Like, there were entire plot points in the first game that didn't pay off until the third game. Well, like, Bring Down the Sky, um, if you remember, that was the one with Balak, and he's a terrorist. If you let him go to save the hostages, he appears in Mass Effect... He mass- appears in Mass Effect 3. And um, you have a choice either to kill him or reluctantly um, let him join the, you know, the battle against the Reapers. And that was my, my favorite line from a Paragon Shepherd who let uh, Balak leave, uh, a woman comes up to him. You want me to arrest him? And Paragon Shepard says this, no, I want you to put a bullet in his head, but we're all making sacrifices today. Mm-hmm. Also, there were some romances added that were completely unexpected. For example, uh, remember Kelly Chambers in 2, your yeoman? Yeah. If you romance nobody, but spend a lot of time with her, it was upgraded to a romance in 3. Now, she didn't come with you, but she left you a, a picture of herself in a locket. And it's like, wow, they really – and then Samara, if you were faithful to Samara, you only flirted with Samara in two. In this one, you actually got to kiss her. Um, and there's so much uh, – you know how Rex was so dour and and depressed and, and sullen in one? In three, if you do all the right things, he is just jumping for joy, and he's such a he's such a delight. He goes from being the most pessimistic character to the most optimistic character. Yeah, and I think like the the deal with the Krogans from the from the very first game into the third game is such a mishmash of so many different things can happen depending on which. Which of their warlords is alive by the end of the game, by oh, the end of the trilogy? It is entirely possible. If you have if you have Reeve and Eve dies and you do not do anything to defuse the bomb or anything like that on Tuchanka, the Krogan become extinct and the Rachni live on Tuchanka. Talk That's about a wild. dark that talk about a dark ending. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you deliberately fuck over the uh, and of course, if you fuck over the Krogan and Rex is still alive, he knows what you did and he attacks you on the Citadel and he's just, you know, you just have to murder him. And, you know, Shepard says, I didn't kill anybody. And Rex says, only my unborn son. You know, it's just really dark and uh, ending for him if if you do that. Um, yeah. There's a lot of tear jerking moments like um, 95 percent of the time, uh, Morden is going to die on Chanka. And if you had him sing. Uh, Gilbert and Sullivan in two 
as the place is blowing up around him, he'll start singing that same song as he's as he's uh, as he's making sure the cure works and dies singing that song. Yeah, so there was a lot of different experiences to be had out of depending on how you played the Mass Effect games, and I really think that that's one of one of the most ambitious things about it. Like just the sheer amount of possibilities that it could have occurred based on what you did. I, uh, it's a real shame what happened to Bioware after. Well, <laughs> because like. I mean, Dragon Age is great. Mass Effect are great. I don't think they're going to. I don't think new versions of them are ever going to be as good as what what we got before. We have Mass Effect Core Four coming, and we have Dragon Age Four coming. Um, I will say this though: the Citadel expansion was the biggest gift to every fan because it looked at a lot of things that people were complaining about in terms of story, not in terms of content, like. If you romance Jacob as a female shepherd, he will break up with you. He, he, he can't stop it, and he will get together with Bryn, who is a scientist. And everybody thought, you know, she's taking it too well. In the Citadel expansion, it allows her to vent at Jacob, you know, for for ditching her for another person, you know. Um, it also added the gay romance between Shepard and Caden, if you wanted that, and. Here's the thing. That little addition made one and two seem like an unresolved sexual tension between the two for the first two games. You know, like there was something there, but they weren't acting on it. Now, you could have the same thing for a female Shepard, too, if you didn't romance Caden in one and two. It's still the same acting, but there's just a different feel to it when you have Shepard finally meant, you know what, this is what I want. You know, I do want you, Caden. You know, it just turned something... That was basically an oversight and actually an omission because Caden was supposed to be a gay romance for Shepard in one. It turns it into something that's like a series long spanning sexual tension, will they or won't they sort of thing instead. And of course, Liara is 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 Bioware's pet and uh, you can romance her during the entire thing, all three games, including the Shadow Broker DLC. Um, but there's just so much there. Um, seeing Jack go from this bitter, nihilistic cultist to uh, to a, a woman who's really protective of her students. And, oh, by the way, one of the worst things that can happen is if you do not save Grissom Academy. If you do not do Grissom Academy, um, in three, she's been brainwashed and turned into a um, one of the uh, Citadel uh, special forces, and you're forced to kill her. And um, if Gar- if Garrus is with you, he'll say, oh, Jack. And um, Chepo will say, that's just one more thing Cerberus will have to pay for. Uh, some people get a lot of karma. Like, um, if you saved Morinth, and you chose Morinth over Samara, in three, she comes back as a wraith. <laughs> I mean, she comes back as a banshee. <laughs> and you have to kill her. Yeah. So, like... I don't know. I I uh, I always followed along with the Garrus romance because I like him. I like that character a lot, and I like their dynamic with Shepard. I like oh, dyna- with a male Shepard. That's just a straight up bromance. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, there is no Shepard without Vicarian. Uh huh. Like 
I I like Garrus's arc throughout the entire trilogy, where he goes from like this frustrated straight laced cop that has to deal with with all the regulations to trying to be like Shepard and failing. Yeah. One of the best things is that um, if you sh- do not romance Garrus and if you do not romance Tali, they hook up. <laughs> And then, and then eventually he becomes like if 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 he lives long enough to get there, he becomes yeah. like a respected leader among the among the uh, the Turians. Well, we find out that his dad has the ear of the Primarch, you know, and uh, his dad said, "Listen, this Reaper stuff is real." And the Turians say, "Well, okay, we'll make Garrus our Reaper expert, which is sort of like putting him off, giving him something to do." And then when the Reapers really attack, they say, oh, shit, we have to have this person in charge. And one of the funniest lines is that uh, Shepard might ask uh, Garrus, how far down are, how far down are you from being the Primarch, the leader of the of the uh, of the trains? He says, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Even the minor characters like Gabby, you know, Gabby and her, her friend, you know, you know, the little en- the engineers were introduced in two, you know, Gabby and oh, geez, I forgot his name. Uh it's like even their their story is great, and a lot of people come back. I mean, like Engineer Adams go uh, comes back in three after being absent from two, you know. And he gets uh, that's the other thing. All the minor characters get a lot more to do. Like in in one, when you spoke to Adams, he didn't really have much to say. In three, he's he's, he's constantly chatting and he's talking to everybody. And what I like about three also is that all the characters will move around the ship. You have to check the map to see if they're in their right place because maybe Adams is is speaking with Doctor Chakwas in the. Uh, in the uh, coffee room, you know, and they're, they'll be chatting about something where Garrus will be, uh, ch- or, oh yeah, should, should we talk about uh, Javik? <laughs> Javik sure. is uh, Javik is a lot of people's uh, favorite characters. He's one of those. He's the basically the Sten of uh, Mass Effect Three. Very serious, but he loves trolling as well. And of course, uh, play your cards right. A female shepherd might sleep with Javik during the Citadel expansion, and Javik will say. There is one thing that primitives are good at. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's just Mass Effect 3 had it been allowed to be released in November and have all the content. I mean, I think the Leviathan and Citadel expansions were going to be post-release expansions no matter what. Um, the Leviathan DLC adds a lot of background and makes the um, make makes a lot of what happened make sense because they're basically the precursors and you find out how the Reapers became to be and all that stuff. It is, you know, in its current state, you know, 10 years for, uh, ten years afterwards, it's like now that it's one big game, people can appreciate it more for the grand finale that it is. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think that's one thing that they did do, right, is doing that Legendary Edition with all three games put together. Um. I think that enough time had passed for people to get rid of their sour feelings on on the at the moment, and it certainly was fun to re-explore that game again. Like, I uh, I still have issues with Mass Effect One as far as the gameplay goes, but uh, it's not just the gameplay. I'm finding that Mass Effect One sort of slogs. You know, it's sort of I. I Mass Effect 2 I can get into immediately, you know, and Mass Effect yeah. 3 I can definitely get into immediately, but I'm just doing Mass Effect 1 to do a different uh, save file, right? And it's sort of like, oh, God, it's carrying on. Yeah. They uh, they spruced it up enough that I that I found it to be more palpable in the Legendary Edition. 
Um, but yeah, it's uh, I think that that Legendary Edition is a is a solid way to play those games. Um, S- Scott, have you ever played Mass Effect? You have. I have not. Really? Really, I just have have not had any interest in it, so I, I haven't played it. Here's the thing I'm going to say about that. Um, if you play it like, I don't know, like 10 years from now, it will not have aged a day. It will, you know, I'm pretty sure they'll remaster it again, but uh, even if you do it now, if you come in now, it's not going to feel dated. It's not. It, there's nothing that really dates it, um, except for some of the conventions in one, like the infinite, you know, the infinite fire. It's basically you have to fire until it overheats. But... There's no rush to play Mass Effect, but or you, what you can do is you can just watch a watch a all the let's plays. But here's the thing about it: everybody's Mass Effect game is going to be different because there's so many choices, so many branches that mm-hmm. you'll you'll never be able to. I I watch a lot of Mass Effect games because I I want to see stuff that I would never do. A lot of the Renegade actions I would never do. I just want to see what happens in them. Like, I would never let Samara kill herself and then shoot her daughter after she does that. That's something you can do in Mass Effect 3. Just let Samara commit suicide and then shoot and then shoot Flair. That does sound pretty dark. There is a reason for it. And by the way, if that happens, Flair is perfectly okay with it. You know, she says, then I go to meet my sister. It's because, um, you know... She's an Arda Yachi, and she's in danger of becoming a Banshee, and she doesn't want that. Mm-hmm. But saving them both feels sweet because it's also sort of sad because when Flair tries to hug Samara, she doesn't really hug back. It's sort of like Samara doesn't know how to return love yet. She's her mother, and she's 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 proud of her, but she's also very distant, and she doesn't know how to return the affection. Because from a from a uh, from a um. From an Asari viewpoint, um, she's basically uh, Flair is basically a late teen, you know, like early college student age. So anyway, I think we've talked enough about Mass Effect Three. Um, like I said, if you want to get the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, go ahead, do it. It has almost everything. I still have the original thing, so I still have Pinnacle uh, Pinnacle Station stuff like that. But yeah, go ahead and do it. We're gonna go on to the quick news um, stuff that. We can't really talk that much about, but it's still news. Um, the first one, of course, is all new PlayStation Plus launches in June. And the new PS Plus includes three tiers, streaming of retro PS1, PS2, PS3, and PSP games, but no first-party releases. And I'm going to say something. There's a lot of people who are salty about about having to stream those retro games. They don't want... They did say that... Um, I don't know. I Did they... I think you can download them if you don't have a streaming service in your area. I'm not sure, but there's a lot of people who just want you'd be able to download those those backwards, uh, not uh, those backwards those those games instead of streaming. Yeah, I, them. I'd rather download it than stream it myself. Yeah, and like PlayStation now works, but at the same time, it, it's dependent upon your internet connection, and there's just some parts of. With the way that ISPs are in the United States, sometimes good internet is just not possible, and so PlayStation Now is just not possible. Yeah, um, and I don't know. They Sony says that uh, first day one first party releases are not, you know, they're not they're not econ- finan- uh, economical, and they want to make sure games are right, which is total and complete utter bullshit. 
here's the thing. Microsoft promises, yeah, everything. Every first-party game, boom, it's going to be on Game Pass. You don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the third tier is hella expensive. It's seventeen ninety nine a month. Yeah. And that's what gets you the retro PS1, PS2, PS3, and PSP games. Like, oh, by the way, we should mention, uh, it's I th- they said 430 PS4 and PS5 games, and if you have the total, it's, it goes up to about 700 with the PS1, PS2, PS3, and PSP games, if I remember correctly. The PSP games make me want to consider this. And the reason for that is that there's a lot of interesting RPGs that were released on PSP that I have never been able to that just aren't playable anywhere else. And like, I mean, I, Chrono Cross is coming out, um, and the, the version they're re, the remastered version they're releasing is the PSP version. Um, like the Elgar Tactics franchise, for instance, those games are really hard to find. Have you and, seen the? Li- have they shown a list of PSP games yet? Do you know they're part of them? I don't. But that's what I'm saying is that if that if ch- stuff like that is on there, you might consider eight, eighteen bucks a month. Yeah, because like there are a lot of gems that never made it out of the PSP uh, platform, because and and there's really no way to go back and play those. So there is value here. There is some interest to be had here, and. I'm not entirely like it, it'll it rem- I, I think it's really dumb. Jim Ryan's stance on first party games, um, but we'll see what happens. Like he in the conver- in the same conversation where he said we're not going down the road where we release PlayStation Studios exclusives on day one. He also said, who would have thunk we would ever release PlayStation Studios games on PC? So I guess we'll see or on Xbox, by the way, <laughs> or on Xbox or Switch. Yeah. <laughs> So I hope that that changes. I hope that he changes his tune. I hope that, it, that even if it takes seeing that there's money to be made there, I don't know. But Speaking PlayStation of- needed something like this. They needed to uh, revise PlayStation Plus. And it sounds like if you if you just want to keep doing what you've been doing with yeah, PlayStation Plus. By the way, then- uh, people that PS Plus uh, are going to keep their PS Plus. They're automatically be on the first tier. Yes. So you don't lose anything by just you do lose one thing though. Doing what I, you've been doing. I think one game has been pulled from PS Plus, and then they have to re- redo it. I forgot which one. I don't know. They uh, they said that uh, Persona Five is leaving the PlayStation Plus collection. That's the one. Yeah, uh, yeah. P- uh, plays, and then they'll have to um, re put it back on PS Plus another time. I- I'm trying to remember what they said about it. Hmm. I don't know. It just seems to me they they're doing this because they have to. They have to. Game Pass is made. They just there was a new um there's a new article saying that Game Pass was it was making even more money than Microsoft expected. Mm-hmm. And it's like Sony said, "Oh shit, we better we better get on in on this." You know, and um, the thing is that they had PS Now a lot longer, a lot for for a much much longer time. But the problem is that, you know, um, the way they implemented it, it was you know it wasn't very well done, and I heard a lot of complaints about it. Yeah, and like I've always hated PlayStation. Now it's 
it really is like a limited platform as far as like the idea of offering previous uh like older generation games it doesn't really serve anyone i don't think very well just because of the just because of the issues and complications with uh with streaming those games on that service here's the thing um you have the same thing. Every game that's on Game Pass is now available on streaming. But the thing is that Microsoft has made it a supplementary part of their of their service, not a mandatory part. You know, if I want to play, uh, say, Slay the Spire on my cell phone, yep, I'll do that. But I don't have to play Slay the Spire on on streaming. You know, which is what you have to do with PS1, PS2, PS3, and PSP games. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, by the way, um, speaking of play, uh, PlayStation Studio games on day one for Xbox, uh, they did actually talk about stuff that they're adding to franchise mode, but a lot of it sounds awfully um, cosmetic. And mm-hmm. I, I, they did. They, uh, that's not entirely true. They did say there was better AI, which actually for a franchise mode is you know is very important. You know, trade AI and stuff like that. But there's a lot of people who are saying that they just feel like uh, franchise mode is being replaced by uh, uh, March to October. And there's a lot of people who want to have multiple years, not just a single season. Hmm. Anyways, uh, chips from broken PlayStation 5 consoles might be showing up in crypto mining rigs. For the ASRock uh, BC250 mining rig, which features 12 AMD BC2050 mining cards, might have the APUs from defective Sony PlayStation 5 consoles. So if you ever wondered what happened to the, all these defective play, PS5s, guess what? <laughs> Poor things. Using Being used to for garbage-ass cryptocurrency. And the problem is, you know... I know a lot of people say, well, why couldn't you refurbish them so there'd be more PS5 consoles available in the market? Because greed. <laughs> greed is the answer. I know a lot of people who settle for a refurbished PS5. <laughs> Speaking uh, of which, by the way, um, I was checking. The Xbox Series S is now just plainly available. You don't have to, you know, do any hunts for, you know, uh, when it's being stocked. They're now in stock. I still personally wouldn't get an Xbox Series X because I so have so many uh, disc, uh, you know, disc games that. But if you want, if you don't care about disc at all, you know, and you just care about digital, well, guess what? They're available. They're available, and you can freely buy them. But like, yeah, this is a. It's. I can't fault them for being. For I can't fault them for the ingenuity. Of figuring out how to use broken PS5s to turn them <laughs> into mining rigs. That is very, very... I mean, they, they took something broken and they turned it into something that... Uh, it's broken in, an, uh, broken in yet another way. <laughs> yeah. But, dang. Like, what a, what a, what a fate. What a waste. For, for, for a good PS5. You just... I don't know... How, I would I would buy a refurbished PS5. Uh, Microsoft reinstate. Oh, go ahead. What were you about to say? I was just saying, right? Like, there's a lot of people out there that are still looking for PS5s and can't get their hands on them. It's just yeah. a ridiculously difficult thing to do. By the way, um, my uh, the United States has started raising uh, taking off the tariffs from uh, 
Chinese uh, chips, which which may actually mean that will be there may be more PS5s. We'll see. Uh, Microsoft reinstates direct sh- uh, Twitter sharing feature on Xbox consoles and latest insider beta. Microsoft is elected to reinstate the ability of Xbox users to share game screenshots and videos directly to Twitter in response to feedback. Yeah, one of those feedback was from me. I hated it. I hated it because it would say you what it would do is it say, do you want to, you know, if you wanted to share it first, you had to download it to your cell phone or whatever, uh, you know, external thing. And then you had to upload it manually to Twitter and, you know, you had to do the hashtags yourself. It sounds like uh, Nintendo's way of doing things, too. It sends a picture to your phone, and then from there, you have to do all the stuff you want with it. Here's the thing. I don't mind it as an option, because if you do it on your phone, then you can send it to anything, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. But no, I just want to directly upload to Twitter, you know, and have the hashtag done for me. And if I want to add some more, it's fine. But it was a lot easier and better just doing direct Twitter sharing. I, I don't understand why they would do that. I mean, keep one feet, keep the feature in which you can upload it to your phone because that is useful in certain ways. But I want to be able to just upload directly to Twitter. Thank you very much. Yeah, like I don't know. I remember when they said, like I've I've always uploaded clips from certain games and uh, and screenshots to Twitter. They used to be PlayStation used to be able to do that with Facebook too, and then out of nowhere they just yeah. removed it one day and never put it back. And, I mean, uh, you could tell what people are because uh, if you're uploading from a PlayStation, it would say PS5 share, and if you were uploading from Xbox, it would say Xbox share. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just such a it's such a it's such a good just like sensible feature to have. Like I like being able to share stuff that like that easily. Oh, it but would you remember? Uh, I think it was in the PS4 days. Maybe the PS. I'm not sure. You remember there they had it so that it would automatically upload to Twitter, and then people would find their own Twitter feeds being spammed by a lot of shit from games they were playing. It's like stop, stop posting this shit to Twitter. Let me yeah, decide. That's definitely PS4. It definitely does that if you're not careful. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like. It's stupid to me that they ever took stuff like that away in the first place. It makes no sense. It's it's such an easy way to like it's free advertisement for one. <laughs> like you're having people that are will that are well ready and willing to just make their clips and make their screenshots and show off bits of the games that are on your platform. Why would you not want people to be able to do that freely? Well, it isn't that it's freely. It's just a pain to have. You're adding a step that's really unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, moving on. Bandai Namco is creating a Gundam metaverse. This metaverse will encompass games, toys, music, and more. I'm pretty sure you're really plugged into this one, TJ. I am curious what this even means. I know that Bandai Namco was already working on a. Uh, they were working on. They're working on a free-to-play uh, Gundam game right now. That's going to be kind of like Overwatch. Um, and it will remain to be seen how that game does, but like the, the premise sounded fun. The idea of being able to like get various mobile suits from, from throughout Gundam history and battle them against each other in sort of an Overwatch, uh, hero shooter sounds like a good time to me. Uh, as for this metaverse, like I wonder if that free to play thing is going to be 
part of the plans of this thing. Like it sounds like they're it sounds like they're wanting to because there's a lot of history to Gundam. It's uh, it's the uh, it's the iconic Japanese war is bad anime, except, hey, also cool robots. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Gundam has always had um, merchandising. It just sounds like they're going to really be ramping it up. Yeah, um, pardon so I'm curious to see exactly what this metaverse idea entails. And I do know that Bandai Namco, I think I think we talked about them a while back with a, on a metaverse topic. I like the idea of Bandai Namco using its IP to create like interactable museums and and uh, and interactable content and store and like digital storefronts and all that jazz. It sounds like a fun idea. Um and to use Gundam for that like that's a that's a rich and uh, that's a rich universe full of all sorts of characters and and cool things that people enjoy. So let me know when they do a uh, Star Trek or Star Wars metaverse and I can walk around the Enterprise or something. You know, when, when I can do that, then I'll be happy. Yeah, I think they have it as a VR game on the PS PlayStation. I think it was Star Trek Bridge Commander. Uh, Star Trek Bridge Commander was the was the VR co-op game for Star Trek. Oh, that's right for the um for uh, PlayStation. You start back, yeah. PS4. Right. Where you're you're playing the the Kelvin timeline or whatever, and uh, yeah, you get to you have like four you have engineering weapons and all that, and you have to coordinate and you're you're playing like on the real bridge. So yeah, that's cool. But I mean. I mean, walk around and explore it, you know, like a real ship, not just the bridge, but like the whole thing. Go explore and see what the different parts are and just. Do you ever play, you ever play Star, uh, Star Trek Elite Force? Star Trek Voyager Elite Force? I don't think I played that one, no. I've, yeah, that allowed you that allowed you to explore the entire ship. As a matter of fact, if you wanted to, you could go nuts and start shooting people. But what, hap- what would happen is that the. The security team would come and they would arrest you, and then you'd either have Chakotay or Janeway dressing you down in the bridge, and the game would end. This does this does sound uh, cooler than the uh, bank metaverse or the uh, Walmart store experience metaverse. Like, who wants any of that? Yeah, I mean, like, if ultimately this provides a VR experience where I can straight up climb into a Gundam cockpit, that sounds cool to me. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, we're going to move on to the news news. Uh, go ahead, TJ. All right. Ratchet and Clank apart, or Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart lead writer claims work has been erased from Eurogamer. The lead writer on Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart has claimed her work has been erased following a GDC talk by Insomniac lead designer Mark Stewart. As reported yesterday, Stewart discussed the development of Rivet, including gameplay elements in the character's name. However, lead writer Sam Maggs has responded to IGN's coverage, stating it's pretty upsetting and frankly offensive that she wasn't included in Stewart's talk, adding, sucks to have my work erased. Maggs, who has since left the studio, states she was not credited for her work in the game, but was included instead under special thanks. 
This speaks to a broader issue of game devs being entirely uh, erased from the narrative of their own work once they leave a studio. She said, I'm not even credited as a writer on this game despite dedicating a year and a half of my life to it and creating Rivet's personality basically from scratch. Uh, in separate in a separate thread, Mags d- details how the name Rivet came about. She began with three core concepts: should ideally be, also be named after a tool or mechanism, should also be two syllables to evoke the similarity on speaking, ideally should end with a hard sound. This led her to short lists of names, including Hammer, Socket, and Gadget. The latter of which was already taken by other known show, other known characters. Uh, eventually, the team settled on the name Rivet from her shortlist, a name that has since been attributed to Insomniac programmer David Kim. Mags has given additional information on the character, too, including that Rivet was, is, cano- is canonically a lesbian despite not having a relationship in the game. Mags also fought over the character's design, including removing makeup and breasts. At one point, my my uh, CD yelled at me in front of the whole office because I kept saying Lombax's titties very loudly in the office whenever anyone would bring up Rivet's design, and it made people uncomfortable, she said. She credits 3D character artist Xavier Coelho Castani. Come on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Xavier Coelho Castani and senior technical artist Sol Brennan for ensuring Revit, Rivet got jacked as hell. Well, she's big and muscular in the game? I know she's supposed to be – she's almost a clone of, of Ratchet. She's pretty strong. Okay. So, yeah, it's kind of depressing, this entire story. Yeah. Like, I will say – like, I, I saw another example of this very recently, too, is that uh, – uh, Ghostwire Tokyo, I love that game. I enjoy it very much, though. But Akumi Nakamura was reduced to a special thanks that's like 10 minutes into the credits, and that seems heavily unfortunate. I don't know. I know a lot of companies do seem to do that. Uh, Konami, when Miriyama left during Sukaden 3's development, I think didn't get uh, mentioned in the credits, or at least was probably greatly reduced if he was in there. Uh, you know, he probably wrote most of it, so it's, you know, companies just seem to want to say, like, they own it, and you get lucky if you get credited in there. Yeah. I don't know. It just, I think it's entirely, I'm glad that, that uh, Rivet doesn't have tits, basically. She doesn't have to have big tits and makeup. Just let her be another character. She doesn't have... We know she's a girl. You don't have to make her into Jessica Rabbit or something. Yeah. And like, it's, and more importantly, like, it's, it's, I can't even imagine having that much of my life poured into a project. And then somebody is just like, yeah, who knows where it came from? came from thin air we'll never be able to solve it (laughs) yeah like the idea of something just springing up out of nowhere when somebody clearly put in so much work on that is so dismissive and it's really it's it's a silly problem within the industry just being able to i mean just attributing something 
properly to people doesn't sound that hard, but I guess it is. Especially when you've got like major projects like that that uh have a lot of people. I know uh I know some I know names get lost in the shuffle, but when someone puts in tireless amount of work on something and then somebody else just just basically dismisses that credit, that's that's a problem in this industry. Anyways, we're going to move on. Um, I threatened this last week, but we're going to go into gaming history now. And uh, we're going to talk about the Gizmondo. Uh, the Gizmondo is a handheld gaming console developed by Tiger Telematics, otherwise known as Tiger. It was released in the UK, Sweden, and US starting in March 2005. Its first party games were developed in studios in Helgingsborg, Sweden, and Manchester, England. Carl Freer led Gizmondo's development. Before its launch, the Gizmondo had high expectations by some journalists Due to its extensive feature set, and it was aimed to compete against Nintendo and Sony. However, it ended as a major failure. By the way, um, we should mention that um, the Gizmondo was inspired by the N-Gage. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers the Nokia N-Gage. Um, it was a uh, cell phone. People would make uh, Star Trek jokes about it. Engage. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I remember it chiefly because it was the first time that Catan had ever been adapted to a video game. Was for the engage. Anyways, uh, the Gizmondo was further overshadowed when Swed- when this when the Swedish press revealed criminal past of several executives, causing their resignations, including Tiger Telematics uh, CEO Carl Freer, uh, director of Gizmondo Europe Stefan Eriksson was involved in a, cri- a Swedish criminal organization, the Uppsala, Uppsala Mafia. The Uppsala Mafia. By February 2006, the company was forced into bankruptcy after amassing 300 million dollars. U.S. debt, and the Gizmondo stopped production. Weeks thereafter, Ericsson crashed a rare Ferrari Enzo, driving at over 162 miles an hour in California, and was later jailed and subsequently deported for driving under the influence in connection with the crash, crash and other criminal offenses. Yes, this, 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 this handheld console was made by the Swedish Mafia. Uh, in the U.S., the Gizmondo launched on October 22, 2005. Retail price was $400 for a unit without smart ads, or 229 for a smart ads-enabled device. It was available only at kiosks located in shopping malls throughout the U.S. Operated by National Kiosk. Uh, you ever, you know, you ever go to those? Um, you go to the airport and you see these these tech kiosks with headphones and all that kind of stuff in it. Imagine only being able to get, say, an Xbox 360 in one of those, or Game Boy. It's <laughs> so weird. Only eight of the planned 14 games were ever released in the U.S., along with no co-pilot GPS software, although the software sold on the British side for a week or two. Uh, I should mention the Gizmondo was one of those um, console and cell phone hybrids before before the smartphone appeared and said, you know, you can have both. It's not a, it's not a hybrid anymore. There was little to no advertising, and some of their advertising was even put in magazines on Nintendo Power, Nintendo's official magazine. Plans to distribute the handheld through other reta- retailers never materialized. The smart ads, and that's spelled ADDS, system was intended as a way for advertisers to subsidize part of the cost of the unit. The apparent misspelling of the name was intentional on a trademark, and the company name were registered to UK as smart ads. Smart ads enabled Gizmondo cost less than $229, but would display advertisements on the Gizmondo screen at random intervals when the user entered the home screen. These advertisements would be uh, downloaded by the device's GRPS system and would be targeted based on data inputted into the device. 
A maximum of three ads would be pl- shown per day. Some of the ads would include special offers in the form of vouchers and barcodes, and some would um, utilize the device's GPS system to direct users to the nearest store carrying the advertised product. Now, normally, I would never want one of these things in my console, but it doesn't sound too bad if it only does it three times a day. It's not like these some of these games on cell phones in which the ad happens every like five minutes and it's just annoying as hell. But here's the here's the twist. The smart ad service was never activated, so the users who paid the reduced price for the smart ads enabled device did not receive any advertisements through their device. So everybody wins. <laughs> Former Gizmondo director Carl Freer announced to a Swedish newspaper in November 2007 his intentions for a new Gizmondo and said there were already 35 games in a in place, a manufacturing base in Shenzhen, China, and he hoped to have the handheld re- would he hoped the handheld would retail at $99. Okay then. Now it's so, now it sounds like a tiger device. <laughs> <laughs> Everything about this sounds just like the weirdest scam. The original plan launch date was May 2008, but this was pr- quickly pushed back to November 2008, along with details of a new company, Media Power, behind the launch, headed by Carl Freer and his Swedish partner Mikael Jungman, with development apparently proceeding according to the new schedule to at least until September. By December 2008, the console still not appeared, for which Breer blamed on the difficult economic conditions. The device was delayed to 2009 as a result. The latest design prototype turned it into a smartphone running both Windows CE or Google Android. However, it was since then the Media Power website went offline. Co-founder Michael Jungman was later arrested, extradited to Denmark, and convicted of serious fraud due to the activities at IT Factory. Nothing more had been announced about the device by Freer, effectively confirming its cancellation. In 2007, game trailers named the Gizmondo the worst console of all time. So, yeah, I mean, the Gizmondo was basically made obsolete by, you know, actual smartphones. It sounds every bit as legitimate as as Soldier Boy's Soldier console, but with, like, European mafia backing. Well, here's the thing. The, the Gizmondo was released, but no one cared. I need to see it. I, I want to see this thing. It looks it looks like the worst cell phone. It looks, it looks like a Tamagotchi. Yes. <laughs> but here's the thing. It looks sort of like an N-Gage, if you remember what an N-Gage looks like. I do remember. <laughs> but this thing, this thing looks like a fancy Tamagotchi. <laughs> um, yeah, well, the N-Gage wasn't much different, small. you know. Mm-hmm. The difference is the, N, the N-Gage looked like a CD player. Because it had those, it had those, 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 it had those, uh, you know, fast forward, play, pause buttons. Look at all these people who uh, look at all this list of like ten developer studios that that uh, that created something for this at one point or another. Housemark, Housemark made a game for this. Oh my god. <laughs> Housemark developed Gizmondo Motocross 2005. Housemark, the same development studio that created Returnal. Oh yeah, but this was back in 2005, so we don't know where they were at the time. That's like mind blowing. That's mind blowing that a group that made Returnal made something for this sad thing. A lot of Electronic Arts games got ported to it. Yeah, I see that. That's just that's mind blowing. Like, could you imagine playing Age of Empires on that thing? 
or Halo. They were gonna they were gonna have a version of Halo Combat Evolved on it. <laughs> it could probably handle Alien Hominid. I see Alien Hominid on there. That's about all I would expect this thing to be able to handle competently. Yeah. Um, well, what about Sega Classics Pack? I mean, you know, actually, it would make perfect sense to have uh, retro game, retro arcade games on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, the it looked like a Star Trek phaser. Yeah, this thing looks silly. Um, and it sounds silly from top to bottom, like from creation to failure. You know, if I get, you know, if you wanted to be an asshole, go to E3, go to Housemark and say, hey, what about, what was that game like that you developed for the Gazondo? <laughs> Either they'd laugh or you'd never hear from them ever again and you'd be blacklisted. <laughs> I do, like, I kind of want to. I kind of want to know. What was it like working with, uh, with the Uppsala Mafian. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the Gizmondo is... I don't know if it's the worst console ever made. Um, there's some yeah, non-starters can, that, that you could think of, maybe. I can think of even... Like, the, the Virtual Boy. The Virtual Boy sucks worse. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that actually damaged people's eyesight. It comes with damaged eyesight and horrible neck pain. And ever and just bad back posture and neck neck pain and and everything is red. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it could be considered the worst in that only tw- fewer than twenty five thousand units were ever sold for the thing. But um, I don't know. Here's a you know what? I'm pretty sure that it's considered a uh, it's considered a, a, a hot item now. Just like the Virtual Boy is considered a hot item, or the or the glove, the power glove. And it's just so many things that maybe yeah. we should we should talk about the Pippin someday. <laughs> the most amazing thing out of all of this is knowing that the now successful Housemark Studio had some uh, had had a hand in the history of this absolute silly failure. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You know, Housemark has been around for a long while. I mean, they were making games for the Amiga back in '93. The first game was uh, Super Stardust in 1996. No, Stardust was their first game. Oh no! Wait, yeah, you're right. They uh, they had different they had different names, and uh, under the name of Star under the name of Bloodhouse, they made Stardust. Yeah, and then Team 17 published it for them. And by the way, that surprises me that Team 17 was publishing anything in '94. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, House Mark was doing. They they did some really meh things. I mean, the Angry Birds trilogy on the PlayStation Three and Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. Hmm. Yeah, sure enough. I don't think I think they really hit it big uh, with Golf Tee It Up. Actually, now that I think about it, that was their first big big game. Uh. I think you might be right. They did do Resogun. I do love me some Resogun. Oh, you know, they did do Super Stardust HD the year before Golf Tee It Up. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, so getting back to the Gizmondo is just one of those... I'm, I'm glad to expose people to that story because, trust me, at the time, like in 2009, 2010, it was sort of like 
everybody was just shocked and weirded out by this this failed handheld console. But you know what? It isn't a, it's it's stranger now because everybody's forgotten the N-Gage. Because that's yeah. basically what this was aping off of. Yeah. The la- the last time uh the last big Nokia thing. Wow, you know, these guys have really been doing a lot of Super Stardust. First on the Amiga, then on the PC, then on the PlayStation 3, and then on the PlayStation 4. I think it's, you know, and a VR version, no less, on the PS4. Hmm. Anyways, um, so that was the Gizmondo. Look for our show notes at GamingPodcast.net, along with industry news and our gaming history articles. If you enjoy feedback, so just comments on our blog at GamingPodcast.net. I'll set us up at Facebook.com slash GamingPodcast. Distractions on iTunes. Leave some iTunes comments. You can find me on Twitter at Jonah Falcon. You can find me at Johnny Chugs. You can find me at Shard Ramar. And we will see you next week. And maybe I'll, I'll start bringing, uh, doing a gaming history about the Pippin. Come back with your thoughts on Weird West. I want to see what you. I want to hear what you think of it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of the Pippin? I have not heard of the Pippin. You've heard of Scotty Pippin. Have you heard of the Pippin, Scott? Uh, Scott? No. Okay. Uh, I'll give you a little spoiler. It's when Apple tried to make a console. Huh. <laughs> can't believe you've never heard of the Pippin. Does anyway, have anything to do with Scotty Pippin, the, the best? No, it's spelled, it's no, no, no. It's named after the character from Lord of the Rings. Ah. Mary and Pippin. It's named after Pippin Pippin. Not Scotty Pippin. <laughs> okay. Anyways, we will see you next week. Happy right. gaming, everyone. Have fun. Be cool. Play games, y'all.